1: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I am Bryson Carver. For the streaming audience, of course, you can see I am wearing my Dak Prescott hoodie along with my signature, I guess it's a signature at this point, my Dak Prescott hat, because i got to bring a little bit of objectivity, reason, and nuance to a discussion that has lacked pretty much all of those three, all of the above. All day and for the last 24 hours. I'll discuss, obviously, the Cowboys' loss of the Jags. I'll give the Jags their props because they did win the game. And Trevor Lawrence, folks, is special. i going to talk about him, the Jags, why I think they are going to make the playoffs, why I think they're going to win out, win the AFC South, get to the postseason for the first time since 2017. I'll discuss that as well as... The Bills beat the Dolphins on Saturday night, and I'm actually back to where I was a few weeks ago on a concern-level basis with these Bills. There's still a glaring, glaring flaw that they have that's just mind-boggling. They cannot solve it for whatever reason. I will also discuss some breaking news involving Jalen Hurts. Uh, It appears he will be out Possibly the rest of the regular season. Again, they haven't officially ruled whether he'll even play this week against the Cowboys on Christmas Eve. Uh, much, you know, much less obviously against the Saints or against the Giants to finish the season. But could be very, very bad news to the Eagles down the road. I'll discuss the Colts' monumental, and that's putting it mildly, collapse against the Minnesota Vikings, losing a thirty-three to nothing lead. Against Minnesota, I'll discuss that, and at the end of the show, I'll predict tonight's matchup between the, uh, the Los Angeles Rams, the Green Bay Packers. i also have, by the way, reaction to Patriots Raiders, that ending, uh, an individual who got left off the hook because of the insane ending. But you know, I got to start with the Cowboys-Jaguars game. So the Jacksonville Jaguars defeated the Dallas Cowboys in overtime by a final score of 40-34. to 34. In what was one of the better games of the weekend, Uh, it was a crazy NFL weekend we had. If you talk about the games on Saturday and the games on Sunday, uh, and this one was no different. The one thing you always say about the Cowboys, there's always drama, and they're usually in tight games with elite quarterbacks. But let me start with the Jaguars before I get to Dallas, because I want to give them credit where where it's due. They won the game. They deserve to win the game. Uh, And their young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, folks, I'm here to tell you, it has arrived. I thought he he made his official I have arrived statement with that incredible drive against the Baltimore Ravens about a month ago. Remember, he had that big, long 80-plus yard drive through the touchdown. I think it was to Zay Jones, uh, who had a big game yesterday, three touchdowns, and then through the two-point conversion to win the game, right? Against Lamar Jackson, John Harbaugh, great Ravens team. And that was kind of where I was like, okay, he's arrived. And I said when he was drafted, first of all, out of Clemson in 2021, I said, this guy within five years, is going to be a top-five quarterback. Like, my my takeaway was, watching him in college, unless he has an absolute idiot at head coach, which, by the way, he did last year, so you saw what happened, there's no way, barring injury, that this guy can fail in the NFL. There's no way. He's mobile, big, strong, massive arm, accurate, great leader, hard worker— He's, he's you know, I, I use the term a lot. He's everything you want a franchise quarterback. He's everything you want in a superstar quarterback. No, he's not there yet. He's in year two. He's not a superstar yet, but he's ascending and he's getting there. Folks, since week nine, Trevor Lawrence is first in the NFL in completion percentage and has 14 touchdowns to one interception. Remember, that was kind of the big thing. We were concerned about him last year. And then the first half of this year, like, man, he's got to cut back in the turnovers. One pick, one pick since week nine. He's been unbelievable, and he was unbelievable yesterday. 27 for 42, 318 yards, four touchdowns. He did have an interception. QBR of 59, round up to 60, and a pass rating of 109. When his best was required, he gave it to the Jags yesterday. Okay, obviously, he had the fumble, but, you know, no excuse for that. Obviously, he's trying to make a play. J. Ron Kerr strips the ball. Luckily for him and the Jags, they get the ball back, go down, tie the game. And, of course, they went in overtime in the pick six. Of course, I'll get to the Cowboys in just a second. But when I watched that game, and I watched the Jags last week against the Tennessee Titans, and how they've improved as a team and how Trevor Lawrence has just continued to ascend, this team is going to represent the NFC South in the playoffs this year. Something that I did not think was possible two months ago when they they had won like one, two games, something like that. You look at Jacksonville's schedule, and by the way, they're a game behind the Tennessee Titans, right? A game behind the Titans. They got at the Jets this Thursday night. That's a huge game for both teams. The Jags to keep their division hopes alive. The Jets just to keep their playoff hopes alive, as they lost yesterday to the Lions. Then the Jags got at the Texans, who, you know, just gave the Cowboys a run for their money, just gave the Chiefs a run for their money. But that's a revenge game for, for Jacksonville. Because Houston's one win on the year, came against the Jags. So that's a revenge game for Jacksonville. And then they've got a home game against the Tennessee Titans to close the regular season. Meanwhile, you look at the Titans' schedule, who sit a game above them. They've got Houston. They should win that game. They're seven-point favorites. Home game against the Cowboys. That's not an easy one. And then at Jacksonville. So that, that last game is going to decide the division. In all likelihood. Unless Jacksonville just completely free falls or, or, or you know, Tennessee like, loses out. The Jags are going to make the playoffs, folks, and it's because of two individuals, a Super Bowl-winning coach, Doug Peterson, which I said when he was hired in January, I said this is the absolute perfect hire for the Jags. Doug Peterson is one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. He's one of the best coaches in the NFL as it pertains to developing young quarterbacks. I mean, folks, the guy won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. That's, that's incredible, Okay. Uh, he's a brilliant offensive mastermind from the Andy Reid coaching tree and has developed Trevor Lawrence into j- just in a year into a guy who an argument could be made the man's a top 10 quarterback. Is he a superstar? No. Is he going to be? Absolutely. Barring injury, we're going to knock on wood for him. This kid is going to be winning a lot of games, getting to the playoffs more often than not. And in the next three years or so, possibly less, he'll have the Jags in the Super Bowl contention. That's how special he is. That's how special his coach is. The Jags, you know. Poured into uh, Trevor Lawrence this offseason with, you know, going out and getting Christian Kirk, obviously having Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, uh, Travis Etienne coming back healthy. Folks, this team is absolutely dangerous. Okay. The Jacksonville Jaguars will make the playoffs out of the AFC South. There's no question about it. But you guys really want to hear my reaction. I, I want to give the Jags their credit and because I, I think they're going to get in. But you guys want to hear my reaction to the Dallas Cowboys. Because, of course, they are the most discussed and talked about team in professional sports. Now, what I got a kick out of watching that game, and I'm not a Cowboys fan. I'm a Dak Prescott fan. But what I got a kick out of watching that game is all that went wrong, right? Especially the second half, blowing a 17-point lead and wind up losing the game in overtime. The defense gives up. Let me check this. 510 yards of offense to the Jags. This is a defense that I have been told will carry the Cowboys, you know, to to the promised land as far as they want to go. They got to rely on the defense to get there. Okay, you talk about uh, offensive play calling. Well, suspect, but not awful. You talk about all these things that went wrong in the game. Clock management by Mike McCarthy yet again, late in the fourth quarter. And yet, who does the blame go on? As it always does. It went on Dak Prescott. This despite the fact that... Uh, I mean, I don't know what more the guy has to do. Puts up 34 points. Completes 60, uh, I'm sorry, 76% of his passes. Three touchdowns. QBR of 72, which was top five in the NFL this weekend. And at a passer rating of 107. Not to mention, similar to the Green Bay game when he spotted his defense, which was supposed to be top five in the league. What I've been lectured about. Spotted his defense a 14-point fourth-quarter lead, of which they could not hold. This case, he spotted his defense a 17-point second-half lead, of which they could not hold. Obviously, Dak had the two picks. One was absolutely his fault. No excuse. He's, getting, he's about to either get sacked, whatever. He shoots over Dalton Schultz's head. It's a bad throw. Can't make that pass. That was his only bad throw of the game. But watch the game start to finish. Watch Dak's tape. That's his only bad throw of the game. Like, name a quarterback in the league that doesn't, I don't care if it's Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes especially, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. They always, every quarterback makes at least one throw where you kind of, oh, you wince a little bit. You hold your breath like, oh gosh, they they probably shouldn't have thrown that there. Every quarterback does that. And then the second pick, and I'm hearing so many people, it's unbelievable, talk about how it was a careless throw by Dak. Okay. So, Noah Brown is in a little simple crossing pattern. Third down and four around midfield. Dak sees the pressure coming from his eyesight. He's not coming from the blind side. He's coming from his eyesight. So, he sees the pressure coming to his right, getting pressure off uh, uh, Tyron Smith, the right tackle. So, Dak moves to his left and at the last second, lets the ball go to Noah Brown. C.D. Lamb on that play is covered, and Dalton Schultz is covered. So he's like, you know what? Noah Brown's open. I'm going to throw it away from the area where the, other, the, the rest of the members of the secondary are. Hits Noah Brown right in the chest. He drops it, gets popped up, picked off for a touchdown by Jenkins to end the game. And yet it's Dak's fault. I'm going to go back to something that I said last year, you know, around this time, week 17, when they lost the Arizona Cardinals. Talking about the Dallas Cowboys. And I said, at that time, what Dak Prescott has done with, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, one of the worst offenses in the NFL, personnel wise, is remarkable. Now, I like Zeke and Pollard. You, you can have those, right? Zeke and Pollard have been a great running back tandem. But, you know, we talk about Dak's not doing enough, or you got to, you know, if you pay a guy $40 million, if I, have a, if I had a dime for every time I heard that garbage, you got to be better. So the Cowboys are in the playoffs, again, for the second year in a row via the Washington loss last night. This despite the fact that out of, listen to this, 118 players in the NFL that have been targeted at least 38 times. We got this. This is, by the way, according to NFL Next Gen Stats. Out of 118 players in the NFL that have been targeted a minimum of 38 times. CeeDee Lamb ranks 60th in yards of separation. Dalton Schultz ranks 70th in yards per separation per target. Michael Gallup ranks 103rd. Noah Brown ranks 108th. Again, 118 players. Only 10 have separated less than Noah Brown. And only 15 have separated less than Michael Gallup. That's Dak's two and three receivers. Number two receiver, Michael Galt. Number three, Noah Brown. Noah Brown, who was a sixth-round pick in 2016, is no more for being a blocking receiver than a pass-catching receiver. That's who who Dak's throwing to. Oh, by the way, that offensive line. Yeah, the Cowboys' offensive line this season ranks last in the NFL in pass-block win rate at 46%. So his offensive line is one of, if not the worst in football. With Beattish and McGovern and, and the rookie Tyler Smith who got abused yesterday. With an old and injured Tyron Smith at right tackle. Zach Martin's the only one holding his end of the bargain. Zach Martin's still an elite player in this league. Probably still the best player in the Cowboys to be honest with you. Yet and still. This season. Dak Prescott is first in the NFL in red zone completion percentage. He is third in the NFL in clean pocket completion percentage. Basically, when the pocket's clean, only two quarterbacks are more accurate than Dak Prescott. And you hear all the time, well, the completion percentage, that's because it's he's dinking and dacking. Is he? That's funny. He's fifth in deep ball accuracy rating. It's only four quarterbacks in football are more accurate throwing down the field than Dak Prescott. It has gotten to a point where the quote unquote Dak haters out there, there's nothing, there's nothing. Even winning a Super Bowl and winning Super Bowl MVP, there's nothing that he can do to change their minds. It's, it's it's that simple. Some people have it in their heads that when they have an opinion of somebody, doesn't matter what happens, they refuse to change it. When new even when new data presents itself, they're not gonna change it. There's a lot of people out that like that out in the world. Dak Prescott haters being one of them. As I've always talked about, when you are talking about a guy who is consistently top 10 statistically in the NFL, he's top 10 in wins in the NFL, he once again has the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs with, like I mentioned, a below average is not even beginning to tell the story about this Cowboys offense. I mean, CeeDee Lamb has actually been playing pretty well the last few weeks, Uh, ever since the Green Bay first half. I think C.D. Lamb's been excellent. Him and Dak seem to have built a, a nice rapport. But what did the Jaguars do yesterday? If you noticed, they just doubled him the rest of the game. C.D. had a big first half at 100 yards. They said, okay, Dak, you can't have C.D. Lamb. We're going to double him. We are going to beg Dalton Schultz, Noah Brown, and Michael Gallup to beat us. And they weren't capable of doing that. Dalton Schultz, again, was a non-factor. Michael Gallup, non-factor, doesn't even begin to describe his afternoon. He had... One catch for two yards. That was Dak's number two receiver, and Noah Brown obviously had the inexplicable drop to lose the game. In all honest honesty, I can't say I'm that mad at Noah Brown. He's a guy, as the great Bill Parcells would say, he's a jag. Not not like a jag, a jag like a Jacksonville Jaguar, like the Cowboys played yesterday, but a jag. He's just a guy. He don't make those catches. If that were Devontae Adams, who screwed that up, or Stephon Diggs, or Justin Jefferson, yeah, you got to make that catch. I'd be much harder than them today. No, Brown's a guy. On a good team, he'd be a four, maybe a five. CD Lamb is starting to emerge as a one. So listen, CD's off. I got no issue with CD. Michael Gallup is a three at this stage of his career due to the injuries. He has no explosiveness. He can't separate as evidenced by this. He is 103rd in separation in the NFL. And Dalton Schultz is no better than a 10-yard 10, a 10 completion on 3rd and 15. Sorry. What Dak Prescott is pulling off, and, and people had the audacity last week to say that he was the weak link of the Dallas Cowboys when what you're watching on television, or if you were at the game yesterday, what you're watching on film, and what the numbers are telling you, I'll say the exact opposite. That if it were not for Rain Dakota Prescott, this team would not sniff the playoffs. This team dang sure wouldn't sniff 10 wins. Cowboys are in the playoffs. They win one more game. They're pretty much locked in as the five seed, and they will in all likelihood face Tampa Bay in the wild card round. And they will immediately be one and done. Not because Tampa's good. You see Tampa yesterday? See how they shot themselves in the foot in the second half against Cincinnati? How bad Brady was in the second half? But nobody is better at shooting themselves in the foot than the Dallas Cowboys. And so, the reason I'm wearing this Dak jersey jersey today and this Dak hat is to give a hats off for getting... A bad offense to the playoffs yet again. It's remarkable. It's remarkable what this guy has pulled off. With an offensive line that is 32nd in pass block win rating at 46%. With a receiver in Noah Brown, who's 108th in separation. Another receiver, Michael Gallup, who's 103rd in separation. And Dalton Schultz, who's 70th. His best receiver, CeeDee Lamb, is ranked 60th. In the NFL in yards of separation it's outstanding props to Dak Prescott on once again dragging the Dallas Cowboys to the playoffs um I, I just got a, a text from my dad he makes a, a solid point he said I'd like to know when one of his receivers is going to stand up and say hey it's on me Dak should uh Shouldn't have to always take the blame, and, and that's the thing. But and, and listen, Dak has to take the blame for the interception. Like that's that's the unfortunate part about being a franchise quarterback, especially being the quarterback of the Cowboys. You have to take the blame. Like that's that's why Zach Wilson got as much pushback as he did. A because he pl- played awful against the Patriots in that game. But B, like dude, that is not what you do as a franchise quarterback. That's why Baker Mayfield's gotten so much pushback. Cam Newton occasionally got pushback for that. Dak's everything you want in a franchise quarterback. He's consistently proven year in and year out that he's in that top 10 group. And yet, every game, we blame him, not his bad supporting cast, for losses. One last thing before we move on. What I got a kick out of. If you're watching that game down in Houston, Texas, a team that I think personally, I've got them getting to the Super Bowl, the Kansas City Chiefs. They needed overtime overtime to beat the one-win Houston Texans. Very similar to how the Cowboys needed a 98-yard drive to beat the one-win Texans. But when Dak does it, oh, you beat the Texans by four? That's like you gotta be kidding me. You should... When Mahomes beats the Texans, oh, did you see Mahomes yesterday? All those crazy highlight throws. There's a double standard. Is Mahomes better than Dak? Obviously, he's better than Dak. Nobody's debating that. But the double standard, is incredible to see. So, props to the Jags. They, they 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 earned this one without a question. Trevor Lawrence was remarkable. Doug Peterson outcoached Mike McCarthy, and Kellen Moore for that matter. But the fact that game in and game out, we always blame the same guy, despite the fact that your eyes tell you and the numbers tell you is the only reason that they are even in these games. Once again, I said it two years ago on this show, 26 months ago on this show. I will say it again. Look in this camera. Dak Prescott, if there's any chance in the world that you are watching or listening to this, get out of Dallas as soon as you can. Once the season comes to an end with a first-round playoff exit at the hands of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, request a trade. The beauty of it is, Jerry will probably listen to that trade. Jerry's never bought into Dak, as once again evidenced last week, him taking shots at Dak in the media. San Francisco could sure use a franchise quarterback. I like Brock Purdy. I like Sturdy Purdy. like the kid, but he, he's obviously not Dak. Could sure use that. It's the one missing piece the Niners have. They have basically the perfect roster in the NFL. The one thing they don't have is a consistent star franchise quarterback. With Kyle Shanahan, that's a match made in heaven. But it's 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 crazy. The 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 afternoon games were equally wild. Obviously, had Tampa Bay just completely self destructing the second half. I don't know what I don't know what happened. You go up seventeen to nothing, and the Bengals go on. What was it? A thirty four to nothing run. Tampa Bay got a a garbage time touchdown with forty seconds left. You had uh, the Chargers winning on a walk off field goal against the Titans. Uh, you know, huge for their playoff hopes. I think the Chargers, if I'm not mistaken, are now out, are now up to the sixth seed. who would Who would they face? Would they face the Bengals? Maybe. I think the Chargers. Let me check. I think the Chargers would face the Bengals if the playoffs started today. They would, Oh, how about that? The first pick from the 2020 draft, Joe Burrow, versus the sixth pick from the 2020 draft. Justin Herbert, that will be a very entertaining game. I definitely favor Cincinnati to win, but I think it'd be a highly entertaining game because both rosters are extremely talented. Uh, I'm not a fan of either coach. I do like Zach Taylor a lot more than Brandon Staley. Uh, but then you have two, obviously, you know, star quarterbacks in the NFL. One in in, in Joe Burrow, who's without question proven himself to be a superstar. Um, but the the second game, uh, or, or yeah, the, the second game I want to talk about today and one of the afternoon games that happened yesterday, was one of the most incredible, uh, just, uh, how do you comprehend what happened in Las Vegas? I mean, I know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. There's a lot of crazy things that happen uh, out there. But this tops them all, without a question. So three seconds left. Game tied at 24. Here's what happened between the Las Vegas Raiders and the New England Patriots. Mac
0: Hollins out on defense he's all the way back uh, stevenson is, gonna is the- outside the 30 flips it back stanford band nowhere in sight oh it's picked off Uh-oh. oh no unbelievable oh wow incredible chandler jones takes it in and wins the game for the raiders
1: Have you ever seen an ending I've like that? I've never one? seen anything like that. I have no idea. So, how you even comprehend what just happened? So, first of all, I I'm not gonna be the guy that piles on Jacoby Myers. I, I'm not gonna be that guy today. Um credit to him after the game on taking you know full blame for what was a just a brain fart play. Because first of all, Ramondre Stevenson deserves blands. Well, not as much as Jacoby Myers, but he got it started, right? They run just a little draw play. Ramondre Stevenson up the middle, makes a cut right. For a second you're like thinking, hey, could he could he take this thing? And he, you know, he throws the backwards lateral to his right side of Jacoby Myers, who by the way was a quarterback in either high school or college. I'm forgetting which. And then he laterals it all the way across the field. The only Patriot within 10 yards of the throw is Mac Jones. And you got like five Raiders there. Chandler Jones, ironically, a former Patriot, a former great Patriot who Belichick, another is another great player Belichick let go, catches it, stiff arms Mac Jones, takes it to the house, and the Raiders win in what was one of the most stunning finishes to a game that we've ever seen. Like it was almost like the reverse of uh, of the Tuck rule. It was almost like revenge for the Tuck rule back 20 years ago. But there's a few takeaways uh, from this game. First of all, I think. It goes to show you that when you've got the better quarterback and you've got the better roster, sometimes coaching doesn't matter. I didn't think Josh McDaniels coached that good of a game. Because if, if the Raiders do not score on the second-to-last drive of the game, Derek Carr leaned him down the field, hit Matt i Con- I'm sorry, it was—oh, um, oh crap. a Keelan Cole in the back left corner of the end zone for the tying touchdown. We're having a discussion about, man, Josh McDaniels just lost another close game. Right? Is it time to move on for McDaniels? Instead. We're having questions about the Patriots, and their playoff hope's obviously taking a massive, massive blow. But there's one individual who, I'm, just, I'm not saying he should be happy that the play happened, but should feel pretty, I guess, relieved that the play happened because it let him off the hook. His name is Matt Jones, who once again, in a gotta-have-it game, Could not have played worse. Maybe if he turned the ball over, he could have, but aside from turnovers, that was one of the worst quarterback games I've ever seen in my life. Mac Jones yesterday against a Las Vegas Raiders defense that is the fourth worst defense in football against uh, passing. uh, 13 for 31. For those of you that don't want to get out your calculators, I'll do it for you. That is 41% completion percentage. 112 yards. A passer rating of 52 and a QBR from 0 to 100 of 12. Listen, I get that Matt Patricia is the offensive coordinator and everybody knows he's a defensive coordinator who Belichick put as the OC. I get that. And I defended Mac Jones back in August and saying, like, I'm not going to be as hard on him this year as last year. I did not anticipate, however, that Mac Jones would go from a below-average quarterback to an incompetent quarterback. Mac Jones this season is 30th in touchdown passes, is 23rd in passing yards. That's actually his best stat. And he's 32nd in QBR. Not to mention this year that the Patriots offense is 29th in third down percentage at 34%. They are last in red zone percentage at 38%. And how about this? It's week 15 of the NFL season. Folks, we got three games to go. There's three games to go. The Patriots still do not have a passing touchdown in the fourth quarter all season. Only team in the league to do that. The Patriots, the only team in football to not have a passing touchdown in the fourth quarter. Patricia deserves blame. The lack of skill position players also deserve blame. He's a backup, folks. I don't. I don't know what more you need to see. As a matter of fact, Bill Belichick. Did you see him take a shot at Mac Jones after the game? On that play. The miracle play, the Sin City Miracle, as it's being dubbed. The Patriots were thinking, like, why are they running a draw play? Like, as soon as he snaps it and hands it to Roger Stevenson, we're like, man, you have no chance of scoring in this. What are you doing? They asked Belichick after the game, Coach, why didn't you try a Hail Mary? This is from their own 45, not from their own 15. Bill Belichick's response, We can't throw it that far. Because our quarterback's limited, basically, is what he's saying. Our quarterback, an NFL quarterback, who was the 15th overall selection out of the 2021 NFL draft out of the University of Alabama, cannot throw a pass 55 yards. Think about that. We can blame Jacoby Myers, who made one of the worst boneheaded decisions I've ever seen in sports since probably J.R. Smith in the 2018 NBA Finals. It's probably the worst I've seen since that. He deserves blame. But it took Mac Jones off the hook. I'm not going to be brutal on Mac for not making the tackle on Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones is 6'5", 260 pounds. Mac Jones is probably 6'4", 220, 215. They don't pay Mac Jones to make tackles. so I'm not going to be as hard on him on that as everybody else is. But I am going to be hard on him at, you know, could he complete? Better than 41% of his passes. Is that is that too much to ask? And it's not a great look that seemingly after every other drive, he's dog-cussing Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick. And Belichick's simply saying, like, there's only so much I can do with you at quarterback. There's only so much I can do. Let's not let Belichick off the hook either, by the way. The Patriots this season are top 10 in penalties with six per game. And once again, and I said this when Tom Brady left New England, I said this could be, Belichick's about to get exposed. Seven and nine in 2020. 10 and seven last year, but got beat by 30 in the playoff loss to the Buffalo Bills. And this season, they're seven and seven. The Patriots this season... You know, my worst prediction of the year was Broncos winning the Super Bowl. Worst prediction of the year. <laughs> Easily. Probably the worst prediction I've ever made on this show. One of the best predictions I've ever made on the show, however, was that the Patriots were going to go into Thanksgiving Day with six wins. They would finish the season with seven. Because their closing schedule, there's no way that they were gonna they, they were going to survive it. I said they would lose to the Vikings. They did. I said they lose to the Bills. They did. I said they beat the Cardinals. They did. I said they lose to the Raiders. They did. Their last three games: Cincinnati, uh, they're not winning that. The Dolphins, who the Patriots have not beaten since 2019, and the Bills, who the Patriots have one win against since Tom Brady left. They're gonna finish seven and ten. Just like I said they would before the season. Because their coach is not as good as he's been giving credit for for 23 years. And their quarterback is a backup. He's a backup. Name one game that Mac Jones has played this season that was as good as Bailey Zappi's two starts this year. Am I saying Bailey Zappi's a, a, a franchise quarterback? Absolutely not. But two years in. What have you seen that tells you, hey, hey, that that kid is a franchise quarterback? We Because we, to me, my definition of franchise quarterback is you don't have to necessarily be elite, but I can see you winning the Super Bowl with that team that you're with. Does anybody in their right minds outside of Boston, Massachusetts, think that Mac Jones can win a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots? Heck, I'm not so sure he could win with the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a backup quarterback. And... The Patriots, for the last, this is now three seasons post-Tom, have gotten exposed. Bill Belichick in particular. They're a bad drafting team. They're bad situationally. They can't push the ball down the field. They can't find any good skill position players. And they cannot find a replacement for the greatest quarterback of all time. You're obviously not going to find anybody who's even going to come close to filling Tom's shoes. He won six Super Bowls, for crying out loud. But is it too much to ask for competence at that position? Mac Jones can't even give you that. We bash Zach Wilson all the time, and we should. Zach Wilson at this stage is a bust, but so is Mac Jones. They were the two quarterbacks of the 2021 class that I said had the highest bust potential. Zach Wilson, because of his inaccuracy and his terrible intangibles in terms of leadership and coachability, Mac Jones because of his clear limitations, tangibly. Bad arm, not accurate turns the ball over, immobile. All of those were on display yesterday and have been on display ever since he arrived in Foxborough. The Patriots need to move on, obviously let go of Patricia, because that was a stupid move to hire to to begin with. A A defensive coordinator is your offensive coordinator. It's stupid. They need to be in the business to replace Mac Jones. This is a really good draft for quarterbacks. There's Bryce Young, who's probably going to go number one overall, so he won't be available. Will Levis, they could trade up to get him. They could possibly go out and get a CJ Stroud, a Hendon Hooker. Dare I say Max Duggan, who just declared for the NFL draft? A lot of options. Plus, maybe they could make a deal. At, at, you know, Maybe they could go out and get like a Derek Carr from the Las Vegas Raiders. Mac Jones is not the answer. He's never been the answer. As many incorrect picks as I made on the show, like the Broncos winning the Super Bowl this year, the Rams getting to the Super Bowl this year. Mac Jones ain't the guy. It's as simple as that. But what an ending that was, though. Like that was. I was watching the game with, with my dad, and I, we we were both like speechless. We didn't say anything when um when uh, uh, Chandler Jones scored, it's like, what the heck just happened? It's, it, it's, it's one of the most remarkable finishes in NFL history to a game. In terms of Jacoby Myers, again, I'm not going to be ter- you know, terribly hard on him because he's gotten enough of that, right? And, and props to him. He was very emotional after the game. He took full responsibility for it. Hats off to him. I'm sure he's a good kid. Uh, I don't want to be brutal on the guy. Um, but the game is tied. If the run play with Ramondre Stevenson doesn't go 55 yards to the house, which very good chance it's not, just either get tackled or run out of bounds, go to overtime. So let's give at least a little bit of blame to Ramondre Stevenson for even trying the lateral to Jacoby Myers, who obviously, you know, threw it right to Chandler Jones. It it, it was was remarkable. It was one of the craziest finishes that I've ever seen uh, to finish an NFL game. I want to get to some breaking news. That broke before the show started, about an hour before the show started. And that is uh, Jalen Hurts is injured. And according to Adam Schefter, Eagles quarterback and MVP candidate Jalen Hurts is uncertain to play Saturday versus the Cowboys due to a sprained shoulder that he suffered during Sunday's win over the Bears per league sources. Hurts was hurt late in the third quarter when Bears defensive end Travis, Travis Gibson drove him into the ground. And then Schefter put out another tweet there's a real chance that Gardner Minshew could start Saturday versus the Cowboys. Now, there's other reports from like Ian Rappaport saying they do not believe that this is uh, concerning long-term. But this could be damaging to the Philadelphia Eagles. Can they win one game without Jalen Hurts? Yeah, I think they can. I think it's safe to say, given how good that roster is, they can win at least one game. Whether against the Cowboys, the Saints, the Giants, to finish the regular season, Basically, all Philadelphia has to do because of their tiebreaker against them against the Minnesota Vikings is, as the standings sit here today. Yeah, standings sit here today. Eagles just got to win one more game, and they got the one seed locked up. They got the division locked up, but more importantly, they got a first-round bye locked up. So, if I'm Philadelphia, I'm starting Gardner Minshew against the Cowboys. A, because I think I can beat the Cowboys even with Gardner Minshew, who's one of the better backups in the league. And two... I am giving Jalen Hurts as much rest as humanly possible. Because unless it's a gotta-have-it game, unless say the the Eagles lose to the Cowboys, lose to the Saints, and then they have to beat the Giants in the the regular season to not only win the division, but to get the number one seed. Then that's basically like a playoff game. You kind of have to play Jalen Hurts if he's ready to go. But for Philadelphia, keep Jalen Hurts on ice, at least for this week. I know it's a big rivalry game for the Cowboys, but for the Eagles, this is nowhere near a must win game because Dallas lost yesterday. So, and he, by the way, even if they hadn't lost, the Cowboys still wouldn't have controlled their own destiny to win the division. So, if you're feeling, you sit back and say, okay, we're going to play Garner Minshew. We still feel like we can win the game against Dallas. We're better than Dallas. If we lose, okay, we start him against the Saints. If we lose to the Saints, okay, maybe we want to insert Jalen Hurts back in. But if I'm Philadelphia, I am playing this as conservatively as humanly possible. Because as good as that Eagles roster is, they are not winning the Super Bowl with Gardner Minshew. I've always liked Gardner Minshew. I've always said uh, he's around that. I've always said he's better than Baker Mayfield. I think the production has said that. But they can't. he's not a Super Bowl winning quarterback. I know they won with Nick Foles. It's, it's not going to work twice. Jalen Hurts is the very reason that I have the Eagles slotted above the 49ers as the best team in the NFC is the only reason because the Niners have a stacked roster. So the Eagles Niners probably have a better roster differences. One team has Jalen hurts. The other team has sturdy purdy. I love Brock, but he's not Jalen hurts. So this could be much to do about nothing possibly, but given the reports from Jordan Schultz of ESPN, from Adam Schepter of ESPN, from Ian Rappaport of the NFL network, there seems to be more concern about this than if he had just suffered a minor shoulder injury. Because if that was the case, he'd be on the injury report. By the way, keep in mind, it's his throwing shoulder. It's his right shoulder. This, this is a There's a reason this is a big story. And Las Vegas, about 30 minutes before the news about Jalen Hurts' injury came out, Dallas coming into Saturday's game was favored minus one and a half. And then it kept creeping up, up, and it got to about four. It's like, okay, something's up. Like, is Jalen Hurts hurt? Comes out he is. Now's the stance today. The Cowboys went from a a one-and-a-half-point favorite to a six-point favorite. I'm still favoring the Eagles to win the game. I think they can with Gardner Minshew. I think he's one of the better backups in the league. But long-term, boy, could could this be damaging for the Eagles' Super Bowl hopes. And for the 49ers, they got to be thinking, hey, finally a quarterback injury goes in our favor. Because Trey Lance goes down. Then Jimmy Garoppolo goes down. Our biggest competition, our biggest threat to win the conference. Their best player just went down. We'll see for how long. Obviously, prayers to Espritie recovery for Jalen Hurts. Obviously, you want to see him fully healthy in the playoffs. Um, you, You want to see all the playoff teams as healthy as possible, especially their quarterbacks. Man, this could be damaging for the Eagles. Like, really, really bad. So, Wish Jalen Hurts all the very, very best, and uh, hopefully he can recover uh, from that injury fairly quickly. I doubt he plays Saturday the way that, that the reports are, are are talking about. We'll see if he plays the rest of the regular season. We'll see, but uh, this could be really bad for Philadelphia. Moving on, though, to what was I think the most highly anticipated game of the Saturday game slates, which outside the middle game between the Ravens and the Browns, which was a dud, Browns won 13 to three, and it was just about a, it was about as exciting as the score. Told you it was Dolphins Bills. Now, before I get to Buffalo, Bills, by the way, won the game 32 to 29. Before I get to the Bills, I do want to bring objectivity to the table once again, just like I did with Dak Prescott earlier. So, you guys know, I am to put it mildly a, to a skeptic. I said coming into this three game stretch where they played the Niners, the Chargers, and the Bills. I said, for to convince me that Tua Tagovailoa is a franchise quarterback, I need him to play well in two out of the three. It doesn't even have to win. Just play well in two out of three. He stunk it up against the Niners. He stunk it up even worse against a Chargers defense missing six starters. But I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Tua Tagovailoa played very well on Saturday night. Very well. 17 for 30. Completion percentage not great, but it was cold at the end. It, got, you know, it became a snowstorm at the end in Buffalo. 234 yards, two touchdowns, 54 QBR, but a pass rating of 104, better than I thought it'd be. That was my, if I were a Batman game, which that segment might as well. Uh, just, I don't know what's, what's, what's going on with that. My, if I were a Batman has gone just totally haywire. I, I had Bills minus seven and a half. They obviously did not cover, but I had the Dolphins scoring 10 points. Did not envision 29. And credit to Miami too. Mike McDaniel, who's, who, who's done a great job this year, They did something that it feels like it's taken a long time, but mind me, Daniel, keep in mind, he was a Kyle Shanahan assistant. What is Kyle Shanahan known for? Being the best run designer in the NFL. Matter of fact, he's probably a better run designer than even his his Hall of Fame or Hall of Fame level great dad, uh, 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 Mike Shanahan was. Sorry, I blanked on his name for a second. Dolphins Saturday night. 25 carries, 188 yards, 7.5 yards per clip. Raheem Mostert went off for 136. Uh, I mean, it was it, it was outstanding. He obviously had that big run in the second quarter to get him set up in position to score. Uh, Tyree Kill was solid. He had 69 yards receiving. Jalen Waddell had the big play down the field, three catches, but he went for 114 yards and a touchdown.
0: It's obvious the unthinkable is going to happen soon. With all the distractions in the media, we probably won't see it coming. Your gut tells you there's something very wrong going on, and all the evidence suggests that there is. Those in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. American families are preparing. Folks are getting into self-reliance and investing in emergency food storage. My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, is the place you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Get at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save 25%, plus get free shipping on all their three-month emergency food kits. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. Order by 3 p.m., and your items ship the same day. It's time to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com
1: That was, there's no such thing as, I guess, a good loss, but... Certainly a loss. If the Dolphins had gotten housed in that game, now you're really asking questions like, oh man, is this team even going to get in the playoffs? Now they're sitting as the seven seed right now, only a game up on the Jets and the Patriots. But you feel a lot better now than you did coming into Saturday, I think, without a question. I still don't think Tua is a franchise guy. I think there's too much uh, bad that does not overrule the good. But Saturday night, he was really good, he's fairly accurate. He led that drive to tie the game late. Problem was, Josh Allen was on the other side, one of the three best quarterbacks in the sport. And he gave him, you know, he, he milked the clock. And that's where I want to shift to Buffalo. So Buffalo won the game. They're 11-3. They're the number one seed in the AFC right now. That said, I'm really concerned about them. Because it went back to, to something that I thought they had gotten over a couple weeks ago. And it appears to still be kind of an issue. I don't think there's a team in the NFL that is more reliant, outside of maybe Dallas and Baltimore, that is more reliant on their quarterback putting on a Superman cape than the Buffalo Bills. Excuse me. One of the things I talk about the Bills this season, well, their weaknesses. They cannot develop a run game. And if you look at the box score, you say, Bryson, they ran for 150 yards, five yards of carry. They're pretty good. Yeah, until you look down and see, oh, Josh Allen had over half the rushing yards. The other guys, Devin Singletary, three yards of carry. James Cook, he had seven yards of carry, but he only got the ball five times. They get him the ball more. This is the problem for Buffalo. Basically, if Josh Allen isn't phenomenal, they're losing. You can, by the way, throw the Chargers in that group. If Justin Herbert isn't Superman, do they lose? Put the Cowboys in that group. Put the Ravens in that group. Put the Chiefs at times in that group. Although, with the Chiefs, when it comes to running the football, which, by the way, they ran the ball very well yesterday, albeit against the Houston Texans, but the Chiefs don't run the ball well because they don't really run the ball. <laughs> they, Andy Reid has always been kind of a, a pass-happy guy. Back to his days with Donovan McNabb, all the way now to Patrick Mahomes. That, that's just Andy Reid's M.O. Outside of when he had Shady McCoy, he's never really developed consistent run games in part because he doesn't run the ball all that much. Bill's on the other hand. Unless Josh Allen is, is Superman. And, and part of my concern about Josh individually, look, I get he's a big, strong athlete. He's 6'5". We're going to give him 250. I he's, a, he's a big quarterback. But I have a bad, bad feeling that the end of his career could look a lot like Cam Newton's career. Now, Josh Allen at his peak, especially in terms of throwing the football, blows Cam Newton out of the water. But both big, strong guys who, you know, it'd be whether it be Ron Rivera in Carolina, whether it be Sean McDermott in Buffalo, two defensive guys, run those quarterbacks in the ground. They run them a lot. They run them frequently. And eventually, there's only so many hits that a human body can take. And you saw Cam by the end was, I mean, a backup on a good day. I don't think Josh is going to be that bad. But if he continues to take these shots over and over and over, again, there's only so much he can take. And so, should Buffalo face Kansas City again? If they face Cincinnati, man, oh man, you have got to be able to keep the ball out of the hands of Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow while preserving the health of your quarterback, your superstar quarterback, Josh Allen. This is a really, really concerning sign for the Bills. Outside of that game, which when they beat the Patriots, I was like, man, the thing that I took away from that is that they can beat you anyway. We know Josh Allen through the air with Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis and Dawson Knox. They can get it done, Isaiah McKenzie. But they ran for like 150-something yards against the Patriots, not really being Josh Allen-reliant in that category but they went back to their old bad habits offensively. And I I worry that this is going to come back and bite the Bills down the road. I really do. Because Cincinnati can keep it out of Josh Allen's hands with Joe Mixon. Kansas City, if they want to, can with Jarrett McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Alaire behind a good offensive line. I still don't think Buffalo can. They were reportedly in the running for Christian McCaffrey. Maybe that would have helped things at least a little bit. But that offensive line for the Bills has got to be better in run blocking, and the Bills got to be better in terms of designing good run plays to get you four yards, seven yards. Put Josh Allen in positions to where he doesn't have to be Superman. Can he be? Yes, but you you, you don't want you don't want Superman to have to save the day every day. All right, make him Batman. Make him rely on the guys around him. Make him not have to be amazing every single play. That's the only thing that worries me a little bit about the Bills. Now, their closing schedule, they got the Bears. They'll win that game at the Bengals on the last Monday night game of the season. That is going to be a huge game because that could knock the Bills from the one seed to the three seed. That could be massive, and then they finish with the Patriots at home. So, two absolutely winnable games, and then that one toughie on the road in Cincinnati, but it's it's the same old issue with the Bills that I mean, we're 15 weeks in. I don't see getting corrected by playoff time, and it's what concerns me about their chances and their hopes of getting to the Super Bowl for the first time uh, in, in almost 30 years. It's it's something that, quite honestly, I think is going to cost them down the road, whether it be against the Chiefs or against the Bengals, whether it be in Buffalo or whether it be in Kansas City or Cincinnati. I think it could come back to bite them. Now, the other Saturday game... um, I'm still I'm still not really sure what I watched. So, the Indianapolis Colts and the Minnesota Vikings squared off in the Twin Cities. And um, the Colts, at one point at halftime, led by a score of thirty-three to nothing. They wound up losing the game thirty-nine to thirty-six. And watching that game, it was it was crazy. Watching that game was incredible in terms of Minnesota scores. It's thirty-six to fourteen with a minute left in the third quarter, and I'm like, okay, it's not over yet. Like, let's listen. The chances of the Colts winning are obviously astronomically in their favor, but let it's, this thing is not this thing's not done. What the Colts do though after Minnesota, Minnesota score that touchdown. Three and out. Minnesota scored again. Two-score game. What happened with the Colts? Four plays. Punt. What happened again uh, for the Vikings when they got the ball back? Kirk Cousins threw an interception. Now it pinned the Colts back at their own one-yard line, but he vastly overthrew his receiver. Colts get the ball. What happens? Three and out. Vikings go right back down the field. Uh, Touchdown. I think it was to, was it to uh, Jefferson? No, it it was to Adam Thielen from Kirk Cousins. It's an eight-point game. Indianapolis gets the ball back. They fumble. Minnesota gets the ball back, and then they turn the ball over on downs. And then there's a situation for the Colts. They're near midfield. I'm sorry, they're past midfield. They're in field goal range, but it's in that sort of uh, uh, fourth-down territory. It's like fourth and half a yard. You get half a yard, the game's over. They couldn't even do that. Obviously, the Vikings get the ball back. They threw a a screen left side to Dalvin Cook. He took it to the house. They got the two-point conversion, I believe, to TJ Hawkinson, their big tight end. And obviously, later in overtime, Kirk Cousins led a drive to win it. Um, First of all, I'll talk about the Colts before I get to the Vikings. Uh, First of all, similarly to how I genuinely feel for uh, Jacoby Myers for that blunder at the end of the Raiders game, I feel almost as bad, if not worse, for Matt Ryan. Did he play part in the epic collapse, which, for those of you that didn't know, is the biggest comeback in NFL history. The previous record, if I'm not mistaken, was 32 points, which, ironically, Indianapolis's old head coach, Frank Reich, who they fired inexplicably for Jeff Saturday, he led a comeback for the Buffalo Bills in the wildcard game of the playoffs back in the 90s against the Houston Oilers. That was the biggest comeback in, in league history. Up to that point, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings let it come back here. By the way, it clinched the NFC North for them, so it's a, it's a pretty big game as well. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But for the Colts, this is why I ranted on Jim Ursay when he made this move. Firing Frank Reich in itself was already like, oh, I, don't, I don't know about this. 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 This guy's never had a franchise quarterback and has gotten to the playoffs twice. He's a darn good coach. I mean, he's had a different quarterback Every year he's been there, literally. 2019, I'm sorry, 2018, he had Andrew Luck. 2019, he had Jacoby Brissett. 2020, he had Philip Rivers. 2021, he had Carson Wentz. 2022, he had Matt Ryan. He's had no stability at the quarterback position. Gets to the playoffs twice, yet he got fired. And not just to fire him, but to bring in an interim head coach in Jeff Saturday, who his last game as a head coach was in high school. And it's been as big of a disaster. As. Anybody. Could have imagined. I mean heck there are fans. That are like what the heck are the Colts doing. And Jim Irsay. One of the biggest. Egomaniacs in the NFL among owners. Had to show the whole world. Not. Not. I'm smarter than you. And that's where people always get in trouble. When people feel like they have to show you that they're smarter than you, it almost always comes back to bite them. And it has really been the Colts. Listen to the stat. Since Jeff Saturday was hired as the Colts interim head coach, they have been outscored in the fourth quarter by a combined score of 83-9. to nine. So, Situationally, they are about as bad as any team in football. Do they have great skill position players? No. Jonathan Taylor did get hurt early in the game and didn't return, but Matt Ryan is still serviceable. He's not—he's obviously not the Matt Ryan of old, but he's—he's he's fine. I think it's at this stage, it's fair to say Matt Ryan is a low-end starter, high-end backup at this stage in his career. I think it's fair to say that. He's got okay receivers. Guys like Michael Pittman Jr. But to be that atrocious in the fourth quarter, I mean, and you look at not just the fourth quarter score for the Colts, folks, but ever since being the Raiders in that first game, okay? Then they barely lost the Eagles that second game. Since then, Jeff Saturday had horrendous clock management on the Colts' last drive, cost them a game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They get went into the fourth quarter of a game against the Dallas Cowboys, trailing by only two. They lost the game by five touchdowns. And then they had a 33-point lead at halftime with 30 minutes of football to go and lost the game. That points back to coaching first and foremost. I'm not even going to be that hard on Saturday because it's what I expected. It's what anybody could have expected. Bill Cowher... Hall of Fame head coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, won a Super Bowl uh, back in 2005, I think it was, was on the NFL and CBS and said, and I quote, this hiring of Jeff Saturday is a disgrace to the coaching profession. And people were all over him for it. Does he look so stupid now? I mean, call me crazy. I think Bill Cowher knows a little bit more about football than any of us. And most people could have seen this from a mile away. The Colts making this move, albeit they probably weren't going to get to the playoffs anyway. But to bring in a guy who's never coached even in college in his life. A guy who was literally working for ESPN as an NFL analyst. To bring him off TV. And to essentially, by the way humiliate one of the best players in the history of your franchise. If nothing else, that's despicable on the part of Jim Ursay. That'd be like if the, I don't know, that'd be like if the Dallas Cowboys fired Mike McCarthy and brought in Jason Witten. Who, by the way, hats off to Jason Witten, one of my favorite all-time Cowboys. He he uh, won the Texas State Coach of the Year. Hats off to, to, to Big Whip. But, He's never even coached in college. That would be like bringing Jason Witten in to a real rebuilding situation in Dallas for the second half of the season. Him be predictably overwhelmed and gets nothing but hate from the fans. That's what the Colts did to Jeff Saturday. He didn't deserve that. I don't blame him for taking the job. Listen, it's, it, who who would pass up on the job to be a coach in the NFL? Who pass up that, especially for the team that you helped win a Super Bowl for? Absolutely goes to show you that Jim Ursae, and for some reason doesn't get an, uh, enough credit for it, is one of the worst owners in the National Football League. He refuses to commit to a quarterback long-term, refuses to give his coaches any stability, and frankly, the Colts don't draft all that well. Now, you can blame that in their general manager, but the owner deserves blame as well. Not to mention he's one of he's like a lot like Jerry Jones, one of the most outspoken owners in the NFL. Just lesson learned in sports. When when you've got a, an owner and he's kind of a loud mouth, more times than not, it doesn't work. As for the Minnesota Vikings, because we got to give them credit where credit is due. They, they did, after all, complete the biggest comeback in the history of the 103-year the, the history of the league. So hats off to them. Um, it was a little concerning that against a four-win team, and listen, any given Sunday or in this case Saturday, any given Saturday, anybody can be beat. The Houston Texans should have shown you that against the Cowboys and then against the Chiefs yesterday. But still, you're at home. NFC North is on the line. You go down essentially by five touchdowns. That's inexcusable. And if the, if the Vikings go down 33 to nothing to the Eagles, 49ers, the Cowboys, Bucks. I don't know if the Bucks can score 33, but just say they did. They're not winning. Excuse me, they're not winning those games. So it's something to be concerned about. Now, glass half full for the Vikings. They're still undefeated in one score games. And that is, this is why I love the head coach hiring of Kevin O'Connell from the Los Angeles Rams. I said, coming into the season, he was my preseason pick to be coach of the year. Looks like that's probably gonna go to Brian Dable. Deservedly so, by the way. But for Kevin O'Connell to come in to a team that was, I think they won like two games last year, two one-score games. And then this year, they're undefeated in one-score games. They're 10-0. Man, that's coaching. They had, this is pretty much exact, exactly the same rosters last year. Same quarterbacks, same, same skill position players. Obviously, they brought in TJ Hawkinson. But outside of that, it's pretty much the same roster. Now, something else, too, for the Vikings, their biggest flaw that's going to get them beat in the postseason, their pass defense is really bad. They give up a lot of big plays down the field. That's got to get corrected. And, again, against the likes of, let's say, Jalen Hurts is healthy come playoff time, the way Brock Purdy has been playing, the way Kyle Shanahan puts him in position to succeed uh, against possibly the Cowboys, against, uh, dare I say, Washington or the Giants, that's going to be an issue. You've got to be able to stop the passes. league. You see how bad Matt Jones looked yesterday? Vikings made him look like a pro bowler. That's how bad their pass defense is. So it's got to get corrected. They weren't up until the fourth quarter able to generate a whole lot of pressure on Matt Ryan, who's like a statue in the pocket. Completely immobile. That That's something the Vikings got to clear up uh, moving forward. Now, speaking of playoff teams, they do face the Giants and are only three-point favorites against them next week. Then they've got the Packers at Lambeau and then at the Chicago Bears. Bottom line for the Vikings is they're guaranteed a home playoff game. They earned it. They're, what are they, 11-3 and three now? Yeah, they're 11-3. and three. Uh, I said the Vikings would be my sleeper team out of the NFC and that they would win a playoff game. I still believe they will. But due to a lot of the flaws that you've seen in the last month or so, I have a hard time seeing this team getting out of the NFC. Be it as weak as it is. I really do. That's... There, there, there's some serious flaws with this team that they're, they'll have to address this upcoming draft. But, all things considered, this has been a very successful season for the Minnesota Vikings. And like I said, I think they're going to win a playoff game. Because as it stands today, they would face Washington. I Washington would give them issues. I don't bet against Ron Rivera. Taylor Heineke, his one playoff start, he was very good against the eventual Super Bowl champion, Buccaneers. It'll probably be a close game, but that favors the Vikings. They're 10-0 and, and one score games. So... The props to Minnesota winning this game um, a lot, and it goes to the resolve of the team. You know, we we can blame Minnesota, or, uh, Indianapolis for a lot of their miscues, and they deserve a whole lot of blame, but Vikings could have quit. They could have said, you know what? We're probably going to be the two-seed anyway. We're going to win the NFC North anyway. We don't need this game. No, they fought back. Every play that absolutely needed to be made, they made it on both sides of the ball. And by the way, props to Greg Joseph, the kicker. All the pressure in overtime hits the game winner right down the middle to clinch the division. So hats off to the Minnesota Vikings. I did not think on Saturday that I'd be seeing the biggest comeback in the history of the league, but that's why we love this league. Okay, That's why we love the NFL. As the great Yogi Berra once said, it ain't over till it's over. And the Vikings, without a question, uh, exemplified that times 10. Hats off to Kevin O'Connell and that entire Vikings team. But it was a pretty eventful weekend, though. So, real quick to uh, uh, go over the other games uh, this weekend. You had, let's see, Eagles-Bears. That was a very nip-and-tuck ball game. I I took Eagles to cover the nine-point spread. They did not. They won the game by five. Uh, Obviously, again, the big story coming out, as we've talked about today, Jalen Hurts. We'll see what his health is moving forward. My guess is, given the reports that have come out tonight, I have a hard time seeing him playing this week against the Cowboys. Depending on whether or not Philly wins that game, they may just sit him for the rest of the regular season if they clinch the one seed. I would. I want my, my MVP candidate to be as healthy as possible uh, once the playoffs roll around. But he did throw 32 two picks. Uh, he had a QBR 52 pass three of 64, but he had the rushing touchdown and what was you know just a, a wide-open play up the middle. <laughs> Justin Fields, once again, kid did all he could, man. One thing you say about Justin Fields, dude is a competitor. And what he's doing, keeping t- his team in games against playoff level teams, the Dolphins and the Lions, and in this case a Super Bowl contender in the Eagles, he-, he was outstanding. He ran for uh, what was it, 95 yards, including that 39 yard scamper where it looks like he was going to get sacked for a seven yard loss, and he somehow broke out of it and almost scored a touchdown, but he stepped out at the ten. Uh, if-, if Chicago can somehow find a way to build around this kid, they've got themselves a franchise quarterback. He's he's shown you too much good. To bail on him or to not put all your resources, put all not push all your chips in the middle of the table, and make that team as good as you can around him. So uh, but a good win for the Eagles. Obviously, they're now 12 and 1. One more win, and they clinch the NFC East as well as the one seed in the NFC. Saints beat the Falcons 21-18. An admirable effort on the part of Desmond Ritter. Uh, completed 50% of his passes, 97 yards. Uh, his his, his uh obviously QBR pass ring aren't gonna blow you away, but Kept the Falcons in the game. Obviously, Atlanta is dealing with some real issues regarding Marcus Mariota. It looks like he, according to Arthur Smith, the head coach, looks like Marcus Mariota pretty much quit on the team. And so you you can understand that that would leave a really tough psychological um, effect on on, on a team, on an organization. But the Saints win. They're now 6-8. and I'm sorry, 5-9, and tied with the Falcons for third in the division. But because the NFC South is, by a mile, the worst division in football, they still got a, sh- a chance to win it. The Saints got a chance. Falcons got a chance. Panthers got a chance, and obviously the Bucs have a chance as they lead that game uh, by one. I'll sort of touch on that game later. Uh, <laughs> those those Detroit Lions, man, they won't go away. Got a big win on the road against the New York Jets, twenty to seventeen, including a crazy fourth and inches play action pass that ended up scoring a touchdown for him to win the game, twenty to seventeen. Uh, Zach Wilson wasn't awful. Uh, A couple touchdown passes, complete percentage not going to blow you away. Uh, Kept the Jets in it, but listen, the Lions, improbably after a 1-6 and start, are one game out of the NFC. I'm sorry, a half game out of the playoffs in the NFC. Very much alive. Who do they got left? At the Panthers, that's a big one. Then they got the Bears, and then at the Packers, who probably by this point will sit Aaron Rodgers. So, If you're Detroit, you got to be feeling really good about yourself. And you're Dan Campbell. Well, that's probably what Dan Campbell's thinking. Kneecap. 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 A whole lot of kneecaps. We're eating yesterday in the Meadowlands. Listen, I was critical of the Dan Campbell hiring. I still think situationally the Lions leave a lot to be desired. But I was, and, and you you could see even last year when they had the worst record in football, they had, uh, they, they, those guys play their tails off for Dan Campbell. It's beautiful to watch. It really is. They play hard nosed football. Jared Goff has had probably the second best season of his career. Great win for the Lions. Great win for the Lions. They're now a half game out of the playoffs. And I'm sorry, I'd rather see Detroit than Washington. I definitely rather see Detroit than than the Giants. I'd rather see Jared Goff and all those weapons that he has, and that great offensive line, and DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, uh, Ch- uh, a- Aiden Hutchinson, by the way, who's been great this year. He- he's putting him his name in the running for Defensive Rookie of the Year. I'd rather see them than the Giants of Washington. Now, one of those teams are going to get in, but listen, if we get if if we get a Lions Vikings part three, you're telling me Minnesota is a terrified of that matchup? They could have easily lost the first matchup. That was due to some bad situational football by Detroit. They lost the second matchup. Man, uh, part three. Man, I'm not sure if the Lions wouldn't become the first seven seed in the NFL playoffs under this new format. Of course, to win a playoff game, I, I, I genuinely hope the Lions get in because that will be nothing but entertainment. And and they, like I said, props to the coaching staff and the players this year. Uh. Yeah, my confidence in the Panthers has gone downhill significantly. They they lost to the Mitch Trubisky-led Pittsburgh Steelers. Mitch Trubisky, who, by the way, had a QBR of 83 on a 0-100. to He was excellent yesterday against a solid Panthers defense. Sam Darnold was awful. They failed to really run the ball effectively. Couldn't get anything going offensively. Uh, and look, as it stands today, the Steelers' playoff hopes are pretty much dashed, but... Mike Tomlin still has a prayers chance of hanging on to that incredible record of having never had a losing season in his now 16-year NFL career. They're 6-8 and, not, six and eight now. They have to win out to get that or win two and have a tie somewhere in between. They got the Raiders, Ravens, and Browns to finish the year. Doubt they'll win all three, but the record uh, prevails. And But as for Carolina, you got to be feeling a little bit dejected because had you won that game, you'd be in first place in your division. Now, the good news is for Carolina, they still control their own destiny. You look at their schedule. By the way, they're only game back of the Bucs. They got the Lions, which Detroit probably will win that game, their favorite two and a half, minus two and a half, at Tampa Bay. Like, that's the game to pretty much decide the division, and then they finish on the road in New Orleans. But that's that's a pretty disappointing loss if you're the Panthers. Like th- Those are the games, if you want to steal a bad division, that you have got to find a way to win, and they couldn't do it yesterday. Again, Chiefs, it took them overtime, but they beat the Texans 30 to 24. Patrick Mahomes, fun fact, had the highest completion percentage in a single game of all time with 40 or more pass attempts. Patrick Mahomes in this game went 36 for 41. Uh, that is a completion percentage of 88, 88% uh, on 41 attempts, which is incredible. Two touchdown passes. Uh, threw for 336 yards, had the best QBR of the weekend at 92. Uh, he was he was outstanding. Listen, props to Houston. There they play hard. Again, they're a little bit like Detroit. Obviously, Detroit's much better, but they play hard for Lovey Smith. He, he if you say one thing about Lovey Smith, he has those guys ready to go every every Sunday, despite as limited as Davis Mills is, as that defense is, as the offense is, with all the injuries they have at wide receiver. They just took arguably the best team in the AFC to overtime. We'll see what the Texans do in the draft. Looks like uh, that's going to be Bryce Young's new home in about four months. Who else we got? Oh, yeah, I want to spend as little time in this game as possible. Cardinals, Broncos. Uh, the Cardinals are now on their third quarterback. Colt McCoy was concussed in the first half. Uh, poor Trace McSorley had to come in. Uh, it was pretty much a disaster. He had a QBR of 9, 0-100. Uh, but, again, he's the third-string quarterback. I don't know what, what more you could expect. Brett Rippon played pretty well, backup quarterback to Russell Wilson. Uh, good completion percentage, threw a touchdown pass. Broncos moved the ball down the field pretty effectively and took advantage of the beat up Cardinals team. But you know, bad news for the team that I picked to win the Super Bowl—they their playoff hopes were dashed last week. So uh, that they're, they're 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 done. There, there's no chance for them to to make some sort of miracle run to get in. And I think they have more things to worry about. Like I don't know, their quarterback sneaking out to the casino. Uh, we had also the Chargers beating the Titans seventeen to fourteen in what was a very Ugly defensive battle through three quarters. The offense has got going late. Ryan Tannehill, Derek Henry leading lead that drive to tie the game at fourteen. But you gave Justin Herber way too much time. I mean, listen, way too much time is is what forty eight seconds with no timeouts. But when you got an elite quarterback with the charge, which the Chargers do, that's too much time. Uh, Justin Herbert on that drive was remarkable. Got the ball to Keenan Allen. Mike Williams, who made the big catch to get him into field goal range. Uh, and Dicker, the kicker, Cameron Dicker, his third game-winning field goal of the season. It looks like the Chargers, after a very long drought, have finally found themselves a consistent and clutch kicker. Uh, and as the Chargers sit here today, they're the sixth seed in the AFC. They finish at the Colts. They got the the uh, in, in, uh, in-state Rams, in-city Rams, actually, playing the same stadium, and then at the Broncos. So they finished the year against four losing teams. Now, they're the Chargers, so they're not going to win all three. But if you are a a member of a very, no disrespect, but desolate fan base, a fan base that got outnumbered once again, in this case, by Titans fans, you got to be feeling pretty good if if you're a Chargers fan about your playoff hopes moving forward, given how the schedule closes. Bengals beat the Buccaneers 34-23. to 23. This was aided in large part because the fact that Tom Brady was absolutely atrocious in the second half, had two interceptions, had a fumble. Um, I'm sorry, two fumbles in the second half. It was a disaster. I mean, for the Bengals, if you look at their second-half drives, props to Joe Burrow and that offense for capitalizing, but they didn't have to go too far. Okay, the first drive they started at the Tampa Bay 16. The next drive they started at the Tampa Bay 31. The next drive they started at the Tampa Bay 13 the next drive they started at tampa bay 39 uh the next drive that was they started at their own 47 so they were really pinned back there i mean if you're getting set up in the red zone three straight possessions with that offense with joe burrow and those weapons man there's only so much that you could do if you're the buccaneers defense uh tom brady his stat line will tell you that he played pretty well he did not four turnovers all of them coming in the second half he was he was atrocious but The Bucs are still alive to get the NFC South to get a home playoff game uh, against, in all likelihood, the Dallas Cowboys, which I I don't even know who I'm picking to win that game, folks. Dallas is better, not by much, but they're better. But these two teams are really good at beating themselves, at shooting themselves in the foot. They're, they're, They're really good at that. And neither team is a Super Bowl contender. Not even close. Giants commanders... Obviously, two very controversial calls at the end, rightfully so, on Terry McLaurin, and then obviously you had the pass interference there at the end on fourth and goal. Uh, commanders got a I- – I'm not one to blame the refs. I don't do that in the show, but let's just say the commanders got the short of, of the stick in the officiating department. But uh, listen, to their credit, they uh, they fought. Taylor Heineke did all he could. Obviously got that big completion down the field to uh, Jahan Dotson. The Giants got a big goal line stand. Saquon Barkley with some – just amazing moves. He's, he's one of the best running backs in football. And the Giants got a big win. They're 8-6-1. They're the sixth seed right now. As it stands today, they would go to San Francisco. I don't think anybody would take the Giants to win that game over a stacked Niners roster. But big win for the Giants. Brian Dable, what he is doing with all the injuries this team has in offense with a highly limited quarterback in Daniel Jones is his – I'm I'm uh I'm as shocked as everybody else that they've been able to pull this off. And so, props to Brian Dable, the job he's done. To me, he's the favorite for coach of the year. I'm still holding out hope that my man, Kevin O'Connell, who I picked before the season to win that award, is going to win that award. But with what Brian Dable's doing to have this team in the playoffs, can't say enough about it. Can't say enough about it. Now, for the Giants, it's about finding a franchise quarterback and then building around a great coach and a great young player uh, moving forward. So, you gotta you gotta feel good if you're a Giants fan about the future, not necessarily about possibly winning a playoff game this year because that's at this at this point, given the the top few uh, the top three seeds in the in the NFC, doesn't seem all that accurate. But uh, yeah, big big win for the Giants. Now we got one more game tonight. Not a whole lot of playoff implications, but hey, it matters. I mean, one team has not officially been mathematically eliminated. One still has maybe a chance. They have to win out, obviously. But very good chance that neither of these two teams will be in the playoffs, which many folks would have been shocked before the season if you'd have told them that. Uh, one team I picked to get to the Super Bowl. The other I did say would miss the playoffs. I did not think they would be this bad. You got the Rams and you got the Packers on Monday Night Football from beautiful Lambeau Field. So Packers in this game are favored by the and half. they Compete. I expect. Listen, Baker Mayfield, obviously coming off that incredible 98 yard drive to beat the Raiders uh, 11 days ago on Thursday Night Football. Um, Sean McVay with extra time to prepare against Matt Lafleur, who is, you know, certainly not a not one of the elite coaches the NFL to say the very least. I've never been a big Matt Lafleur guy, but uh, listen, the Rams are obviously missing their their franchise quarterback, Matt Stafford. They're missing Cooper Cup. Aaron Donald is out again. Aaron Rodgers is going to play this week. uh, Coming off of a bye, expect the Packers to be right physically. They're obviously used to these type of conditions a whole lot more than the Rams are. And, And Baker Mayfield is one of those quarterbacks who, as we saw for years in Cleveland, really struggles in cold weather. So, right now, it's expected to be about... 17 degrees-ish in Green Bay. There's about a 25% chance of snow. So, conditions definitely favor the Packers. They're used to playing in in these conditions. Expect them to rely heavily on Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, their two-headed monster in the backfield. Thunder and Lightning, as they call them. Aaron Rodgers will be efficient. I actually expect one big Christian Watson play down the field, burning Jalen Ramsey, who has had an awful year. Um... I think this was pretty obvious. I'm going to roll with the Packers. I think they cover. They get they cover this uh, minus seven and a half point spread. A lot of people in Vegas are taking the Rams and the points. I'm not. Green Bay just all in all is a better team due to the Rams injuries. They're not a better coach team. So listen, what it shocked me, what a Rams win shocked me. Can't say it would, but uh, when you look at the Packers in terms of uh, what they have the quarterback position and and you know, obviously how they can run the football and the the matchup. Advantage, they have the outside with Christian Watson against Jalen Ramsey. Give me the Packers to win this game. 27-19 to over the Los Angeles Rams. To close out week 15, we got three weeks to go in the NFL season. By the way, before we get out of here, I just wanted to say, could we have possibly asked for a World Cup, better World Cup final? I mean, holy cow. Argentina won the World Cup 3-3 to on penalty kicks. Um, <laughs> that kid for France, Mbappé. Mb- I'm sorry, Mbappé, I said his name incorrectly. Mbappé. I'm not so sure today he's not the best player in all soccer. The hat trick, <laughs> the back-to-back goals in the 80th and 81st minute to tie it when it looks like France was dead in the water. I picked France to win the final on Friday's show. I mean, every time it looked like... Argentina had to win the game like three different times. They had to get out to that 2-0 lead. Uh, Mbappé single-handedly tied it, or I guess single-footedly, so to speak, tied it. And then in extra time, it looks like Argentina's got it one. Leo Messi comes up clutch once again. And then here comes Mbappé. Tying the game once again, sending it to the penalty kicks, uh, which Argentina won. But again, a crazy World Cup, a lot of different uh, twists and turns. Leo Messi finally gets his first World Cup, the one thing in his career that he so desperately coveted to officially submit himself as the greatest soccer player in the history of the sport. Uh, France will, without question, be back. They will be uh, reloaded for 2026. Uh, but you know, you, you got to feel good for Argentina, right? G- given what, given the pressure that Messi was dealing with. Uh, that was, in Qatar, that was about as lopsided as a crowd as you could possibly have in a final with the Ar- Argentina fans just everywhere. All you're seeing is, is the light blue and white jerseys all around the stadium. Uh, it was an amazing home crowd. And listen, I am no soccer expert, but I'm going to rely on the experts. They are referring to this as the greatest soccer game ever played. I watched it. <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat, so I'm going to roll with it. What a game, what a way to finish an amazing World Cup. Again, obviously, very unconventional having it here in December, right around the holidays, but it was exciting nonetheless. Looking forward to 2026. Hopefully, the U.S. team will be improved by them. Obviously, we're going to be hosting it in 2026, so that's exciting. But, man, what a Sunday we had. With the NFL games, and then but to, to start the day, to start the morning with the World Cup final, just incredible. Absolutely incredible to watch. But that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. As always, be sure to catch Carving It Up live on Thursday at six PM Eastern, three PM Pacific time on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. Also, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button, uh, and also hit the notification bell. Get notified anytime we do a live on Monday, Thursday, Fridays at six Eastern, three Pacific time. Uh, also, when we do YouTube Shorts, uh, YouTube videos, clips from the show. Yeah, Be sure to be notified whenever we put that stuff out. Also, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe to The Grid Network. That is GRYD, The Grid Podcast Network, which is obviously available on YouTube where you can find my show, as well as the show, shows of a lot of other great podcast creators, such as uh, Ryan Flowers of Clutch Sports Talk, who was all over it yesterday with his analysis, especially of his Dallas Cowboys losing to the Jaguars. Uh, Ryan Flowers, Clutch Sports Talk. Uh, Patrick Brown, the Chaotic Sports Podcast. Barry Grant Jr., All Even Podcast. Alfred Parsar Jr. from the uh, uh, Rocket Fuel Jets Podcast. The Cowboys CanFan Podcast, who again gave great analysis yesterday after uh, uh, those guys, uh, their team lost to Jacksonville. Uh, Amazing creators. Please go check their stuff out. You won't regret it. And uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to continue to build uh, this podcast network along with those guys. So, and uh, by the way, last thing. That is where you can listen to my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, as well as wherever you listen to your podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Please continue to stay safe out there. Take care of y'all's mental health and physical health. God bless you all. Peace out. Man, I love those Detroit Lions. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day.